0: grace mercy and peace be to you from god our father and our lord and savior jesus christ amen just after our lord had taught the disciples how to deal with an erring brother or sister peter asks our lord how often will my brother sin against me and i forgive him as many as seven times that is lord How many times must I forgive someone when they sin against me and they repent? For you have already taught us what to do when he doesn't repent, as much as seven times. And while we may think that Peter is being stingy here, and we may even laugh on occasion, knowing the parable and knowing the answer, it is helpful to know that at this time the Jewish rabbis taught that the answer to this question was, Three. Only three times you should forgive your brother when they sin against you. Peter, in comparison, doubles this and adds one. Obviously, Jesus' teaching is beginning to sink into him, and he shows growth as a disciple of Christ, even if he doesn't arrive at the correct answer just yet. However, it is not as many as seven times. Rather, it is seventy times seven. Now, this does not mean that we must forgive someone who sins against us up to 490 times. Instead, it means that there is to be no limit. Seventy times seven is such a large and tedious number to keep track of. Three is easy, seven as well, but seventy <coughs> times seven is not. And so you might as well not even keep track, rather just liberally forgive To demonstrate this, our Lord gives us a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. There is no real point for us to try to figure out the exact value that this equals in our day and age. A talent differed depending on whether it was gold or silver, that it was weighing, as well as where it came from. There was the Athenian talent, the Roman talent, the Persian talent, the temple talent. The important thing is he owed him 10,000 talents, a myriad of talents. That helps us see how to interpret this. A myriad, or 10,000, is the largest number in Greek. There was no real reason to count much higher than 10,000 in the ancient world. In essence, it was a way of saying that this servant owes an immense debt. To get a similar phrase, even though we're not doing this literally, we might say today that he owed him trillions of dollars. It's an incredible debt. And indeed, the scripture says he could not pay There is no way that he would be able to pay this. Even the threatened punishment of being sold into slavery along with his wife and his children, all that he had would not have covered the cost. This, brothers and sisters, is how our Lord Jesus Christ describes to Peter and to us our debt of sin towards God. This is how he describes the way in which we have offended God and transgressed his law an incalculable debt that cannot be paid this is not only the debt of a notorious sinner not only the debt of a hardened criminal who is beyond reform not only the debt of the judases and the sauls but it is also the debt of righteous noah and abraham the debt of peter and david it is the debt of my sin It is the debt of your sin, too. The record of debt which stands against us before God is enormous. It is unpayable for us. Our sins against him, our trespasses, our transgressions, our iniquities are too much. From the time of our conception until our last breath, our debt of sin is more than we can pay. When the man in this parable could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Such a sad sight. There is no way that this man could pay his master everything, not even if he had two lifetimes worth of time. No amount of patience from the king would allow him to gather up enough to pay off his debt. Yet the man was moved by the threat of impending judgment to fall before the king and implore him in this way. So it is with us, brothers and sisters, we are confronted by the law as it holds before us its demands. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honour your father and your mother. You shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, or bear false witness. You shall not covet. And when our Lord impresses upon us the fullness of these commands, how they touch not only the surface and outward actions, but require the whole heart and go much deeper than we could ever imagine at first glance. And when we hear, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm to the words of this law by doing them, and when we see that the wages of sin is death, we cannot but help to do what the man has done and throw ourselves to the ground before God, throwing ourselves upon his mercy and forsaking ourselves, cry for help. And indeed, this is the true purpose of the threats of the law. They are true, and they are sure, but the Lord confronts us now, in our lives, with this law and its threats, so that, despairing of ourselves and our ability, and confessing that we cannot pay the debt of our sin, we may run to him for mercy, run to him for help, run to him to save us, so that we may look to him who is our God and King for what we need and see how good and gracious our king is. And out of pity for him, out of compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The king, this servant's master, knew that the man could not pay back his debt. The man did not obviously understand the gravity of his debt in the first place. He did not understand how high it was, and so confronted by it, he was before it was too late. His debt was brought before his eyes, the punishment laid bare before him so that he would see its consequences. But then, when he realizes his situation, when he pleaded for mercy, the good and gracious king went above and beyond. The man asked for patience. He asked for more time so that he could pay him back. The man thought of his king almost as a gangster who was coming to him with a bar to break his knees if he doesn't pay and asks for more time. The king knew that this would never happen, and so rather than leading him on and saying, I extend your deadline, you have more time, but remain in my debt, he says, go, you are released from my debt, all that you owe me is mine to begin with, and so I choose to forgive it go you are released your debt is forgiven you so too is our god good and gracious he knows that because of the weakness of our flesh that we cannot pay back the debt of sin that we owe he knew this from the beginning when adam and eve first sinned against him that is why even from then he promised them salvation promised them that he would send his son he knows that his servants cannot pay the debt that they owe, and so he gave up his Son for us. He sent his Son into the flesh so that he would be a sacrifice so that our debt may be paid. As St. Paul writes, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The record of our debt has been cancelled through the death of Christ. It has been covered with the blood of Christ, set aside and nailed to the cross, never to come back again. Only God could cancel this debt against us, could forgive this through forgiving our sins against him, and he did this through his Son. We, though... When we, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, turn to God in Christ in repentant faith, we receive this forgiveness, for he is attentive to our pleas for mercy, and we are released from the threats of the law, and our sin is forgiven. And so what does he then desire of us, whom he has forgiven, whose debt he has removed, whose consciences he has released— He does not ask for our firstborn, for the fruit of our flesh, for God himself has given his own firstborn Son for our redemption. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. He has been so good and gracious to us. He has been so merciful to us. He has forgiven us all in such a large measure that we cannot begin to grasp it. He has filled us up with good things, so much so that we cannot contain them. It is like we are like the cup in Psalm 23 and overflow. So he desires that we, that what we have received from him in such a superabundance, we would freely and liberally share with others. As he has been good to us, be good to others. As he has loved us, Love others. As he has forgiven us, forgive others. He desires that our love may abound more and more, and that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This all has its source in him, and comes from him and through Jesus Christ working in us, and then flows out to others. How can it not, when we take to heart all that he has done, And consider how great a cost there was for our debt to be forgiven. And we see that he has done this purely out of his grace, without any merit or worthiness in ourselves. But let us also see the error of the servant. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe! So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until his debt should be paid. What has happened to this servant? He had been called before his master, the king, and he had been confronted with his debt, and when he pleaded for patience for more time to pay his unpayable debt, it was forgiven. But what does he do? He finds a fellow-servant of the same master who owes him and treats him with contempt by seizing him and throttling him, something his own master did not even do to him. The fellow-servant owes him a hundred denarii, not a small amount, but it is nothing compared to the debt that that his master has forgiven. His fellow-servant, confronted with his debt, pleads to him, falls down just as he first did and pleads using almost the exact same words how did that first servant not see himself in this man how did he not remember his own greater debt had been forgiven at no point does he relent even after hearing his own confession almost word for word from this fellow servant's lips instead he throws him into prison so that he can recoup what he owes. Such a harsh man, such a wicked servant. He was forgiven his debt, but he did not take it to heart. He did not allow the king's kindness and grace to change him. Instead, he remains in his old calculating ways. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. They were greatly disturbed and grieved by what they saw. They saw how this man was forgiven, and presumably they too were forgiven their debts by their master. And they see how this servant does not reflect the character of their master. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. The king is rightfully angry. When he forgave this man his debt, he, ex- he expected that this man would cause that this would cause the man to do the same to others as well. As a servant he reflected his master. If his master was good and gracious and forgiving, so should the servant be, because he represented him to others. But he was not. He was cold and calculating and merciless. And so the man condemns himself by his actions. He was forgiven his debt, but then demanded that others pay him what they owe. The demand on the other servant to pay him everything he owed, in doing he demanded the same of himself. What's good for the goose is good for the gander as well. So that he must also pay all that he owes by asking the same of his fellow servants. It is not that the master revoked this forgiveness and mercy, but rather the one who received it at first now himself rejects it. And so he gets what he desires. He wanted to extract all that the man owed him by throwing him in prison, And so his own master applies the same measure to him, handing him over to the torturers, because that is the actual word used. Our translation tries to soften the picture, saying jailers, but the word is torturers, handing him over to the torturers until he can pay all his debt, which, as we know, is never. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you If you do not forgive your brother from your heart the words of our lord jesus sound loud and clear if god has forgiven us how can we not forgive others if we are god's servants if we are christians and so bear the very name of christ we must reflect the gracious and merciful character of god the first servant who was forgiven neither feared nor trusted in his master. With his debt forgiven, he thought that there was nothing to fear, no justice in his master. Neither did he trust him, thinking he must recover his own monies so that he could pay back the debt just in case his master asks him again. Brothers and sisters, God has truly forgiven us. He is just. Our debt has been paid by the blood of Christ our Lord. Let us fear him, for he is the one who rights wrongs and executes justice, and we have seen how he has done this in his Son for us. But let us also trust in him too, trusting that because he gave his Son for us, our sins are forgiven, and we are set free. Thus we reflect him to others by forgiving them as he has forgiven us. And this is not always an easy thing, as it is to say. Others' sins against us do harm us. They are not small in the midst of our own lives, and sometimes we struggle to forgive others. In this, we pray that God would help us. It is better to struggle to forgive and to pray that God would, by the work of his Holy Spirit, enable us to forgive all those who sin against us than to stubbornly refuse to forgive and try to get our own in this life we will never fully be perfect we will struggle and wrestle daily with our own sins and our sinful flesh we still daily need the lord's forgiveness who taught us to pray every day forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and so as we live in the midst of god's forgiveness Let us, in cooperation with him who lives and works in us, forgive those who sin against us, and ask that he would always enable and help us to do so from our heart. For God has given great and many wondrous promises regarding this. He has given these things to us that we may may have assurance and know that he is our Father and we are his children. For he has said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And Psalm 18 says of God, With the merciful you will show yourself merciful. And after teaching the Lord's prayer to his disciples, our Lord promises, and James quotes, Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. And the wise son of Sirach demonstrated how this was known by the saints of the Old Testament. For he wrote, Forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and then your sins will be pardoned when you pray. Does anyone harbor anger against another and expect healing from the Lord? If someone has no mercy towards a creature like himself, how can he seek pardon for his own sins? These are gracious promises of God that are meant to encourage us. If we, as his forgiven people, continue in his forgiveness and so forgive others— then we have assurance that God has forgiven us and will continue to do so. If we have not, then let us repent before it is too late. For we daily sin, and we must daily repent and turn to God. Let us ever walk in the forgiveness which God has so graciously shown us, according to his compassion for the sake of Jesus Christ, who cancelled the record of debt against us, by nailing it to the cross, who suffered in our place, that, trusting in him, with faith in him, we may be forgiven and live with him in his forgiveness. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? O Peter, how often have you sinned against the Lord and he has forgiven you? As many as seven times? And O Peter, far more than seven times. So it is with me, and so it is with you, brothers and sisters. May God, by his grace, grant to us all that our love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that we may approve of what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.